Welcome to Centerpoint Church. Again, my name is Aaron Master. I'm a pastor here. If you've never been before, you might notice that we're a bit different than a traditional church in, a, in, a, in our style. But what we want you to know is that we still see the Bible as authority here. We take God very seriously, and we have a goal to encourage you to take the next step in your relationship with God every week that you're here. This week, we're actually, we're in the middle of a three-week series. We're wedged right in between. Uh, we're in week two of our series that we're calling Christmas Spirit the right way. And I don't know if you're aware of it yet, but like Christmas is here, right? Like you see the decorations out and about that's everywhere. If you're witnessing it here and you're witnessing out there, you're going to need some Christmas spirit, right? Because with all of the Christmas stuff comes matching jammies, your spouse pressuring to get decorations up, cutting the tree, fighting off your toddler and cat to get up it, uh, the wrapping, the buying, the preparing the perfect dinner and the perfect ambiance and all those things, right? These things can be fun, but many times these come with expectation and frustration and worry and stress. So much so that it's this pressure that bums a lot of us out this time of year and doesn't let us fully enjoy it. Last week I said, many of us are one of these two extremes. We are either like a Scrooge or a person like Christmas at the Cranks. They're not actually naked. I just thought you would prefer not to see their swimsuits. Um, but people that like would just avoid Christmas completely. I think in the movie they go to Florida. They just, they want to skip Christmas completely. But P.S. Christmas is still there too. Uh, or, so you're kind of like them. Or you're maybe like an elf. You're like Bernard from the Santa Claus. Like working and hustling and doing every little holiday thing that you possibly can this time of year. Yet completely missing the reason for the holiday in the first place. Because we're too busy. We're too busy. So what we're doing in this three-week series is looking at three particular things that happen around the Christmas time that I believe were started by the Christian Christmas story and are fully honorable to God when we do them well, but they also can be the things that hijack the holiday from its honor to Jesus. The three things that we're talking about is, last week we talked about gifts, uh, giving of gifts. This week it's family time, and then next week it's the main event Christmas Day. We all know these are huge parts of the holiday time, but we're going to look at what part these things had in the actual biblical Christmas story by really studying the Christmas story today. Today is a, is a bit scripture heavy towards the end, uh, and it's all about Christmas. I want to cover literally kind of almost everything in the Bible there is about Christmas or Jesus' birth, because I hope they give you even some new insight or correct maybe some assumptions that you have that maybe are incorrect. But as a result of hearing the Christmas story today, I hope to help us learn how to handle those three big things on the holidays and make it God-honoring this year so that we can leave with more joy, hope, peace, and love this season. Don't you want that? All right, I got a couple of yeses. I love it. All right. Uh, for the traditional folk out there, those three or those four things that I just mentioned, those four themes, are the four themes of Christmas Advent, of waiting for Jesus to arrive. Joy, hope for the future, more love, and, and less stress or peace. Those things sound great. They sound amazing, especially when it comes to family time. It sounds amazing to me. I always like to get a good pulse on our church family here, so what I want to do is I want to take a little poll. We're going to do a fun little survey. Around the Christmas time, when it comes to family for you, does your family eat dinner before gifts or do you open gifts right away? Who like eats dinner first? 
Who's like, let's dig in, gifts. Okay, only a few on the gifts. Okay, how about this one? Who on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day plays like a family board game, snacks, 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 watches the Packers, because that's actually happening this year on that Sunday, or nothing, you're just literally on your phone. Who's a Packer person? Who's like going to be eating snacks like crazy? Who is like nothing? Okay, good, good. I've only, I've only seen a few. Um, does your family do the ham, the turkey, the brisket, or some tofu main course? Um, Who's, who's in the brisket? Or just yellow. Which one are you into? Oh, okay. oh yeah. I, I keep hearing a lot of brisket. I got I to gotta check out those families' dinners. All right. Um, is your family a 8.30, 10, or 11.30? Yes, the announcement video said it incorrectly. Yes, your bulletin is incorrect. We changed our service times to 8.30 instead of 1. Um, the other two are the same um, because we're seeing a lot of people would prefer an earlier service. So who's going to the 8.30? Who's going to the 10, 11.30? Oh, this is the late crowd. Literally everyone in the first service is like, first service, 8.30. Uh, this is the late crowd. Um, how about this one? What tradition does your family have? Do you do like white elephant, exchange a gift for, for each other? Or does anybody do the pickle, the pickle tradition? We do that in our family. Who gets priority on Christmas Eve? Your parents, extended family, friends, kids, spouse, your in-laws, too soon, uh, right? Here's a serious one. What does your family do spiritually for God on Christmas? Is it church? Is it Advent or pray or talk about Jesus? Is that enough what you're doing? Okay, back to the fun. One last one. What does mom do in your family? Does she do the cookie baking? Does she buy the gifts? Does she decorate? Does she wrap? Or does she do the fun game? All the above, yes, right? All the above. Moms are the best. They're like the glue to the family because most likely Christmas would fall apart without them, right? Well, in the Christmas story, Jesus was not only the reason for the celebration, he was the glue. He's like the mom of the family dynamic that was going on. For example, Jesus, he brought together an adoptive father, Joseph, to an unwedded pregnant woman to get married. Mary is her name. And these were two lovers amidst adversity, and Jesus is what helped them stick and stay together. Uh, Jesus brought together cousins and distant relatives, Elizabeth, Zechariah, and, and baby John, or John that's known as John the Baptist. And then Jesus brought together strangers, shepherds, and wise men, and visitors. During the Christmas time, Jesus brought together these types of people. And I don't know about you, but when I look at like, what is happening in Scripture, I don't see a lot about like holiday fights or tears or frustrations. Now, this is meant to be a rhetorical question, so don't answer it out loud. But are you experiencing that in your like, family today, like during the holidays? Nevertheless, even just within your nuclear immediate family during the holidays. There's a new movie out that's on Netflix right now that just shows like the frustration we can have with each other, even just within our immediate family. Here's, here's just a 20-second clip of it. Check it out. I worry that we're all kind of disconnected. Did you ask me something? Hmm? What? It's fine. Okay, good night. Dizzy, do you think it's good for you to live like this? What's up? You're really not supposed to use your hands. Quiet family meeting downstairs. Let's go. Can you help me with this problem? I'm kidding, you can't help me. No, I can't. We are gonna make a happy memory as a family. 
right? Like the media, it's just like there's tension, there's stuff going on, and there's not, you're not clicking together, especially during the holidays. I'll be the first to share. Sydney and I, my wife, we always, we always have a good fight around this time of year. And this year it came early. Yay. Specifically, last Sunday is when it came. It was a fun one, 10 p.m. at night. It was one of those, like, we're doing this right now? Really? In bed? Before bed? But it happened. It happened. And it was probably, like, our first one of our seven years of marriage. Joking. That was sarcasm. Um, But what I'm trying to say is holidays bring out the worst in some of us. There was an uh, old study that was done that found December is when couples fight the most. Like, Christmas has a reputation for joy and cheer, but it's the most stressful month of the year. People fight way more often. Uh, It's a stressful time, and there's just a lot going on. But then on the flip side, the arrival of Jesus on the first Christmas, it brought out some of the best ideals of family life. Acceptance, forgiveness, trust, love, right? Now, if you're scoffing at this, like, I get it. Like, I get, like, you're like, really? Like, first Christmas? Like, come on now. At that time, Jesus and his family, they didn't have to deal with the expectations and all the extras of this time of year that we do. I mean, Jesus was a baby, for crying out loud, right? Like, he slept, he ate, and he pooed. That's it. And if you're thinking that, you're right. You're right. What we're going to look at, though, is the navigation of priorities that we see from his family members within the Christmas story that is completely necessary for both navigating the holidays positively and even every week for us and our families today. So we're going to look at the Christmas story in in a bit and see if we can gather uh, some relationship help in this area. And how it starts, the Christmas story in general, is we have probably two teenagers, Mary and Joseph, and they're in love. And I'm guessing they're doing all the, like, in love dating things, like, hey, let's hold hands. You know, like, it's just, like, a little kiss, like, kiss, like, you know, it's just that feeling. You know that feeling where you're, like, your stomach kind of just, like, I'm around this person. It just feels so good. Remember that? Married folk, remember that? <laughs> okay, so, so maybe that's more of a modern sense of dating, but they have some sort of connection towards others. Probably just feeling as if life is going great together. Literally probably clouded by the excitement for each other, yet combating the temptation of purity and thinking, man, this is hard. This is hard. But while that's all going on, God is working in a distant relative of these teens. God shows up to an old man and woman named Elizabeth and Zechariah, and they did not have a child, and they were well past childbearing age. Somewhere, scholars would say, between 50 and 70 years old. And what happens is one day, Zechariah, he's doing his priestly duties. He's, He's known to be, or he was a priest, and he's about to go into the temple, and it says this, and this is where our scripture gets kind of heavy, so hang in there with me. It says this in Luke 1, 8 is where we're picking up. It says, once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So he's this priest. He's going in behalf of all the other people to to present maybe an offering or to ask for forgiveness to God. And these people would wait while he goes in. And while he's in there, this is what happens. It says, Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. Ah, right? Like, ah, like, what is this thing? Like, 
that would be probably the right response, but that's not always the case. We're going to see later on. But the angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to their Lord God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And if my speculations are correct, Zechariah's maybe initial fear turns to doubt. Turns to doubt. Like he responds with, I'm old. I'm old. Like my life is old. Like, and Zechariah asks the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. Let's just say the angel doesn't like this. And what happens is it says this, I'm Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you the good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. So Zechariah, I'm sure, wants to respond with, wait, 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 you know, like, and like literally is now unable to speak. He experiences all of this news and the sharing alone in the temple. And I imagine that he's getting like joy, like this is exciting, doubt, nervousness, but then frustration with the inability to communicate because he has to leave the temple while others are waiting for him. It says, meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. So I'm guessing he gets out and he starts doing one of these. He goes up to his wife and is like, <laughs> and I'm guessing she's like, you call me fat, right? You know, like he'll slap some. Um, but like, he's not able to communicate. But what happens is it says, when his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. But now, we head back to our teenagers, this is where Luke continues. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. So these teens, they're now engaged. But we also kind of get like a few Easter eggs, as I mentioned last week. An Easter egg is like, it's that sneaky little hidden message in your favorite film that makes you spot, when you spot and you're like, oh, clever. I gave you some modern examples of that. But we get like kind of these glimpses of things from the Old Testament. And in that passage I just read you, we see that God's going to provide a child through a virgin, or he is, and that's something that's in the Old Testament. And God is providing a child through an adoptive father who is a descendant of David. Those were two predictions in the Old Testament of a Messiah, but it continues. It says, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. This is, again, the same angel that like, just visited uh, uh, Elizabeth, so he's busy. 
But the angel said to her, Don't, do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Again, answering some of those Easter egg uh, glimpses. But then it says, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? Seriously, people, right? It's kind of like what this angel's saying. I'm Gabriel. I'm a messenger of God. And he's probably thinking, I got to start using some special effects as I'm presenting this information. So like he probably has like some sort of noise. I'm picturing the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will, to be born will be called the Son of God. Oh, okay, nervously, I'm guessing, is what Mary would respond with. Even Elizabeth, he says, your relative is going to have a child in her old age, and she who, has, who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. So now you see how these two couples are now together, and she, Mary responds, I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered, may your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. During that time, we don't see it in Luke, but Joseph has some doubts. Joseph has some doubts. Rightfully so, right? Like, can you imagine Joseph and Mary's initial conversation, right? It's probably something like this. Like, so I'm pregnant. Oh. Wait, what? Oh. But we Oh. Yeah, this is done. This is done. No, 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 no. It's God's. Have you gone crazy, right? Like, have you gone crazy? But like what it says is Matthew 1, 19. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So he's like, I'm, I'm out. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. So Joseph, he's back in it, right? He's back in it. And since Mary found out about her relative Elizabeth being pregnant, she decides to visit. It says this, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Now, I've never carried a child before, obviously, right? Uh, but, but can you imagine how special that must have been for Mary, right? Mary gets solidification that this child is from the Lord through a, through a friend's word and trust. Have you ever gotten that before from a friend? Like, like God's words that you've maybe heard or felt or experienced, verified by a friend. It's an amazing feeling. It's, it's why I think Christian friends and community is so helpful. But after all that, since Elizabeth was months ahead of Mary, 
her baby comes, and it says, when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. They said to her, there is no one among you, your relatives, who has that name. Why would you name him that? I have a feeling Elizabeth is exhausted, right? She just delivered a baby. And it's kind of like giving the look to like Zechariah, like, honey, I need you here. I need you here. Like, speak up. Well, he, they made signs with the father, it says, to find out what he would like to name the child as well. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately, his mouth was open and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. And this person turns into who we know as John the Baptist, who kind of paves the way for Jesus. Yet meanwhile, we have to finish Jesus' birth story. I'm almost done here. In Luke 2, it says, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And then, and then there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah of the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. After the angels, these guys must have been impressed, right? Like, because it says, they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it came time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given them before he was conceived. And then last week, we talked about the wise men. They come and pay a visit sometime later. But this is the majority of the events that we have around Jesus' birth. This is Christmas. This is the birth story. It's the story of waiting, trials, family, spousal difficulties, children, random visitors. But it ends essentially with like a happy family. It ends with love, joy, peace, hope for all the characters involved, it seems. How and why? Because again, I want that, don't you? Well, when I was studying this story, along with like scripture's guidance as a whole on relationships, and when I really started thinking about it, I think the reason it was that way for them was they had the correct priorities when it comes to relationships. As in the correct priorities and relationships on how to make decisions based off of them. I think there are a few very basic, and there's a very basic biblical method that's meant to be used every day of the year. But I think they model it well in this story, and specifically 
can be used by us when it comes to the Christmas season. And the order for priorities for relationships is this. It's, it's God first, your spouse second, kids third, relatives fourth, and acquaintances next. Some of you, I hope, are like, a duh, duh, Aaron, obviously. But I want to ask you, is it actually obvious in how you are actually making decisions today in life and in the holidays? Like, have you scheduled your Christmas around the parties and the gatherings with work or friends or family over your worship for God? Have you bought all the gifts for everyone except your spouse because it's like the last one, it's the easy one. She, she, they won't mind, right? They won't mind. Just me on that one? Okay. <laughs> Are you choosing to do what your mom or your dad or your grandma or your grandpa or your in-laws are desiring for you to do during the holidays, not your spouse or your family? Are you maybe worried so much about like what a random person will think of your party, your gift, your decorations or service this year that you forget about the people who should be way more important? I mean, if you're like me, our actions tend not to speak to our most likely obvious priorities, and it causes strain and stress and fights. So we're going to look at each of these briefly from the Christmas story and, and gather some specific things that we can do and so that we can positively replicate a biblical Christmas with the correct priorities when it comes to relationships and families. And the first is being God. God should be number one. Uh, Matthew 6, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Everything else comes after you seek God first. Although this seems extremely obvious, this is what God wants. He wants us to seek him and his ways before anything else. It's not the case for a lot of us, though. With all of our characters that were in the Christmas story, they did what I saw as putting God first. Like Mary, she offered herself, her body. She carried a child for him, even if she didn't want to, even though it would socially kill her reputation. Joseph, he chose to adopt the Son of God and taking Mary as his wife. Elizabeth and Zechariah, they named their son what the angel said to name him and not what the obvious family name would be. The shepherds, they, they left their work or figured out a way to bring their work along. God is put first amidst everything else going on for these people. Would you say that's the case for you today? For the holidays especially, I think we get so lost in the actions of Christmas, the buying, the decorating, the baking, the preparing, that rarely do we reflect on the purpose, God, right? The holiday actions, they feel like we accomplished something, like we did something, we checked something off for Christmas. Whereas just reflecting on the meaning of Christmas, Jesus is more sentimental. It doesn't feel as, as tangible. I mean, I, let me just put it in perspective for you of why God should be reflected and honored on Christmas. God is, is triune, meaning he's three. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. But around Christmas, one of the three is given up. Is given up. Basically a loss of family for God and is sent in the form of this human baby, a frail vulnerable child and that child is to be cared for by imperfect humans and is supposed to be brought up to be this perfect sacrifice that dies for all mankind but christmas is a time where we see god lets go he lets go of that child of his preference part of himself his family for something greater for a connection with his creation us forever that's why christmas is so special are you taking a moment to sit in that this year? 
Like, have you embraced that with God? Like, a time where you acknowledge that God has done that for you. Because when you do, you start to sense him more. You start to feel his spirit. You get that Christmas spirit the right way. And if you have never had a moment like that with him, it starts with a connection with him of simply telling him that, God, I see that you made an immense sacrifice for me. And then start pursuing him and his ways and purposes this Christmas as priority number one. For you, what does that actually look like to do that? Let's get practical here for a second. Is it starting a daily devotional with him? Like starting now, even though you maybe missed like the early of, of December, you start now and you continue on. For you, maybe it's like instead of like just going right to your daily advent calendar of beer or wine or cheese or Legos or we have puzzles at home. That's the one we have. But you pray before you do that. Maybe that's what you should do before you actually do that thing. Maybe for you, it's, it's putting a worship service ahead of anything else this Christmas. In our Christmas story, we see that when God is prioritized first, the rest comes into play for their favor. It's not like a guarantee thing. But Mary, she's honorable about sharing the news from God to her spouse. And in response, Joseph accepts her and cares for her and the, the child. Zechariah and Elizabeth, like, they were faithful to God for all of their years, and finally they get what they want. The shepherds, they get to witness the arrival of the king first and become known as the bringers of this good news. Although blessings aren't guarantees for when you put God first as your priority, you do see God does tend to provide people through their obedience. So again, are you putting God first in your, in, in your priorities? The next thing that we see prioritized is your spouse. Um, Matthew 19.5, it says, Man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. When you get married, God sees you as one. He sees you as one unit. Again, so simple that your wife should be or your spouse should be priority number two. It's probably not what's actually happening. Like, have you bought and planned for the kids and not your spouse yet this year? Are you making plans for what will make your family, as in your parents or your own desire, trying to figure out like what will make you happy or those people happy instead of your spouse during this Christmas time? Are you maybe neglecting them a bit? Honestly, if I give you a few more details about the fight I recently had with my spouse, I'm going to own this one. But I was so focused on Christmas. I was so focused on Christmas at church and for having the perfect little Christmas gathering with, with our, li- our kids uh, where just everything would be perfect, our trip and everything just was going to be great, that I haven't been appreciating my wife. I haven't been appreciating her and kind of all month. I thought I was, but she wasn't experiencing it. She wasn't feeling it. And whether I was doing it or not, she wasn't getting what she needed. And I need to own that and do better if she truly is second in my life. Again, when it comes to the holidays, we need to put our spouse before anyone else. If we look at the, the Christmas story, Mary went with Joseph for the census. And they had to travel by foot. Was that what was good for the baby or best for the baby? Probably not. Was the fact that she had to leave Elizabeth after staying with her for three months uh, and she's about to have the baby, do you think that's what Elizabeth wanted? Like, yeah, leave now. Not, not stick around to help. That's probably not what she wanted. But it was Mary's choice to stick with her spouse. We see Joseph. He chooses Mary over public approval 
or what would reduce a lot of potential shame in, to his family's name. I mean, there was a lot that would have been there for him and the rumors and the unweddedness of all that relationship. Pastor Tim Keller, he states this. He says, if Joseph marries her, everybody in that shame and honor society will know that this child was not born nine or ten months after they got married. They will know she was already pregnant. That would mean either Joseph and Mary had sex before marriage or she was unfaithful to him. And as a result, they're going to be shamed, socially excluded, and rejected. It didn't matter to him because he had his priorities right. God and then his spouse. Are you choosing your spouse over anyone else this year? I was thinking about this, but when you are a newly married, married, or newly married couple versus someone that's been married for years, it's different. It's way different. And it's way harder if you've been married for years, right, to prioritize your spouse. Like the older you get, the harder it is, it seems, to prioritize your spouse. Here's a few examples on why. Check it out. Rachel and I never fight. No, we fight. We fight. We actually use a uh, queen-size bed because we love cuddling so much. Yeah, we got a king size. It's still too small. We play this fun game in the morning. It's called Who Can Make the Other Breakfast in Bed First? Now, we play this game in the morning. It's called I'm Still Asleep and So I Can't Hear the Kids Screaming. <laughs> She's really good at it. I love checking in on my wife throughout the day. Just text her, hey, how you doing? No, my last four texts to Catherine, they were on accident, actually. And, and the one before that was when I ran out of toilet paper. We are still managing the wedding gifts. We have like three open boxes at all times. We have like three open home projects going at all times. 32 years old. Can't believe I finally tied the knot. 32 years old. Can't believe she finally tied her tubes. Can I show you our honeymoon pictures from Tuscany? Can I show you our vacation pictures from Branson? Somehow we have not killed this plant yet. Yeah, we haven't killed each other yet. We love just cuddling up and watching movies together. Yeah, we actually bought a second sectional just like this one to make sure our feet don't touch. No, wait, we are not going to do it. We are not going to have a TV in this house. We added a TV in our bedroom, in our bathroom. It just made sense. Babe, I at least need some privacy when I go to the bathroom. Babe, you gotta come look at this. <laughs> Is it just me or does somebody need a back rub? Come over here. Me give you one. I got you a gift card for a massage. What? what do you need to do to prioritize your spouse this season? Like you maybe did when you first were married. Is it checking in with them on what they want to do with the holidays before anyone else? Is it maybe choosing what they need before even the kids or your parents? Happy wife is, I, I, my opinion, is truly a happy life. A happy mom or happy grandma or happy grandpa or happy dad or happy Aunt Sally or happy great Uncle Joe. Those are great things, but you don't have to live with them 365 days a year, right? You do your spouse. Are you prioritizing them first? Even over your kids, which is our next one, kids. To prioritize your kids over God or your spouse is really easy to start doing. But it's just wrong. Like, I, I mean, realistically, think about what prioritizing your kids higher than they should be could actually do to your life. Like, for example, it might cause you to miss worship. It may cause you to choose a sporting event or their friend's desire over a consistent family connection with the Lord. It may cause you to have disagreements with your spouse because you have conflicting views and you maybe side with your kid at times. It may cause you to spend more money than you should, like you're spending it on your kid and you're giving less or being less generous to God. Kids are high up there on our list, don't get me wrong, but they should never supersede your God or your spouse. If you prioritize your child over your spouse, what happens when things start to get rocky, right? And like maybe, maybe go to divorce. Is that good for the kids? It's absolutely not, right? 
Prioritizing your kids is prioritizing your, or prioritizing your marriage first is also prioritizing your kids. You are your kids' primary caregiver, but they should be third to you. Sure, you are responsible for them. Like 1 Timothy 5, 6 says, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. It's mandatory to care for them. But they aren't your relationship's priority. For our Christmas story, Mary and Joseph, they chose Jesus. I mean, they had a choice, right? But they chose him after deciding each other. Do you need to get back to that this Christmas or even in life in general? Which leads to our next one, relatives. Extended family, it's included and important in our priorities. Amidst pregnancy and preparations and engagements and weddings and busyness that was all happening in the first Christmas, Mary still found time to visit relatives. Mary visited and stayed with Elizabeth. The holidays for us is crazy busy, yet it's important to find time for your relatives. God desires this from us. Uh, we owe respect and time to others, not just our immediate family or who is the most enjoyable for us to hang out with on, on our day off. But 1 Timothy 5, 4, it says, but if she has children or grandchildren, their first responsibility is to show godliness at home and repay their parents by taking care of them. This is something that pleases God. We have a responsibility to our parents and extended family, repaying them with our time and care and respect. Are you doing that? Are you finding time to bring joy and honor to your family? At least putting some effort into it. It's a must, but, but not out of order in our priorities. Which leads to our last but not least one, acquaintances. Shepherds, they came to worship. Wise men, they came to worship as well and bring gifts. Were they a priority for Mary and Joseph in our story, in that family? Not really. Mary and Joseph, they didn't change everything for them, but what they did was they allowed for them to be a part of their Christmas. They found time and space for acquaintances or people who desired their presence, who desired to be a part of what was unfolding in their family. For us today, you don't need to change or drop everything for an acquaintance, but will you let them be a part of it, especially if they're pursuing it? Like, do you have a friend you know that it's going to be alone on the Christmas time, and they've asked with intrigue, like, what are you doing around Christmas? Are you inviting them and having them be a part of it? Or someone you know needs a meal for the day. Are you willing to drop it off for them? Or someone you know that could just use a phone call or a text even. So you do it. Even though they maybe aren't priority on your list, they should still be on your list. As I'm about to close us, I truly want you to have more peace, joy, love, and hope this Christmas. And because of what Jesus coming here on earth we can have that. He brought that. And you should start seeing it and experiencing it because of him alone. But like we learn in the Christmas story, I think when we get our priorities right in relationships, we can have the Christmas spirit the right way. As I close, which one do you feel maybe is slipping in your life right now that needs maybe some changing or addressing? Is it, is it God is first, your spouse second, kids third, relatives fourth, or fifth, the acquaintances? I'm going to pray that we can get it right this year. And if you want that, you can pray with me right now. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for just giving us um, an example of, of how we should do relationships. God, we thank you for sending Jesus for us. We thank you for what Christmas is truly about. And God, we, we want the love, hope, joy, and peace that comes from Jesus alone. But God, we, just want, we want our family situation to be 
of joy and fun and, and happiness. So God, I just pray that you help us get our priorities right in a way that uh, you've prescribed. And God, I just pray that um, we can pursue that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.